This is Dan Wilson Uncancelled. Let's go. Brendan O'Neill is tonight's outsider. And destructive green ideology has become so unhinged that we're now being nudged to stop eating meat and are being told that eating bug protein, yeah, 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 actual insects, we're being told that's normal. Here's Hollywood wokester Robert Downey Jr. shoving it down our throats, literally. Look. This is a powder derived from the mealworm, and it's an insect protein just been approved by the EU for human consumption. The making of it is severely reducing the, the amount of emissions it takes. It is, it is a innovation, Justin. We're doing something incorrectly. If we make this switch, it's a huge, huge uh, intervention. No thanks. Pushing a nonsensical green agenda in the name of unevidenced climate change alarmism isn't just a fad among millionaire Hollywood actors, though. The net zero derangement has spread across the globe as green ideologues in government put cutting emissions ahead of humanity's very basic necessities like uh, making food for us to eat. But farmers are fighting back, fighting for their livelihoods and fighting for us, actually. In the Netherlands, they've been rebelling for weeks after their government committed itself to cutting its nitrogen emissions in half by 2030, crippling farmers' ability to make a living and produce the food the country needs. In Sri Lanka, of course, the organic-obsessed regime was overthrown by its starving and impoverished citizens after a blanket ban on chemical fertilizer imports caused domestic rice production to collapse while prices doubled. Brendan O'Neill, this is such a disturbing situation going on around the world. It's not being discussed. And of course, you've got the macro and you've got the, the, the micro. So can we just start with the micro? Why is Robert Downey Jr. going on one of America's biggest chat shows and trying to tell us we should stop eating meat and start eating insects? Because I'm seeing this from the elite and from the establishment almost constantly, Brendan. We are being nudged towards starting to eat insects as a staple food, and I don't want to. No, and you're not the only one. I mean, they've gone completely insane. What we have at the moment is very, very rich people and very powerful people making suggestions like the rest of you should eat bugs, the rest, uh, rest of you should eat mealworm and in insects. That's what will help the, to, to save the planet. So you have these people in their mansions or in their huge parliamentary buildings looking down their noses at the masses across the world and saying, let them eat insects. I mean, that's literally what some of them are saying. It really shows how deranged the environmentalist outlook has become and how much they want to plunge us back into pre-modern times, back into an era when people probably did have to eat insects because food was often very scarce. We hadn't invented agriculture. We hadn't invented the in industry and other things that have helped to liberate mankind from poverty. So they really do want to push us back to that old era in which we were basically scavengers, just about getting enough to eat. And they want to move us away from what we've developed over the past 200 years, which is a modern society that can feed billions of people. We have to defend modernity against these backward, wealthy idiots. No, indeed, indeed. And it's not just the Netherlands and Sri Lanka, of course. This is happening all over the world, very close to home, in Ireland, uh, Brendan, where the government 
says that emissions caused by farming will need to be cut between 22 and 30 percent. So obviously Irish farmers hugely concerned. Uh, surely these governments are going to have to start looking at the uprisings around the world and not go down this path. I, I hope so. I hope that's what that they recognise that this is just not a feasible policy. And I think what a lot of governments are doing is incredibly destructive. And it's really worth thinking about the consequences of the actions that they're taking. So as you say, we've seen it in Sri Lanka already, where the embrace of organic farming and, and the ban on importing fertiliser led to an extraordinary downturn in crop production and food production. And that's why people have revolted very bravely, in my view, against that government. Uh, we see the protests in the Netherlands and now, as you say, in Ireland and most recently in Canada, where Justin Trudeau is now demanding a 30% cut in nitrous oxide emissions by 2030, which would also impact on farming. We see governments across the world really embracing the crazy green idea that we can go back to organic farming. We can't go back to organic farming. You cannot feed the world through organic farming. I think people forget how important the green revolution of the 1960s was when we used fertilizer to revolutionize agricultural production. And it was precisely the use of things like nitrogen and fertilizer that allowed India and Pakistan to save themselves from famine, which allowed Mexico to become self-sufficient in wheat production. This fertilizer that greens hate radically transformed human life for the better. And that's what we've got to start saying. We've got to start saying to them, fertilizer is not a bad thing. Fertilizer saved millions of people from hunger and poverty. And you people want to put us back into that hunger and poverty. Of course, Brendan, one of the issues with all of this is that if you even dare to do what we've both done over the past couple of weeks, both in regards to this story, but also in regards to the ridiculous and over-the-top hysteria and alarmism over two days of hot temperatures in the UK. And yeah, sure, they were hot, but it was two days, folks. The world is not ending. Thousands of people did not die. That is a fact, despite what we were told was going to happen. If you question that alarmism immediately, Brendan, because I've seen it all over the left-wing media, we are branded uh, climate change deniers, which is utterly ludicrous. I mean, when it comes to myself, I'm absolutely an environmentalist. I'm just so conscious of where the path to net zero is taking us. Absolutely. And that's the question we have to start asking. And as you say, there was so much hysteria over the heat wave and anyone who questioned the hysteria was denounced as a climate change denier. But the truth of the matter is that the number of human beings dying from natural calamities, from, from extreme weather, has absolutely plummeted over the past century by around 96%. In the early 20th century, around half a million people died every year from natural disasters. Uh, more recent figures suggest it's around 14,000 every year. So a huge drop. And that huge drop is down to one thing and one thing only. The fact that we live in more industrialized modern societies that are capable of feeding people and protecting them from the whims of nature. So we've got to reclaim the moral high ground from the green hysterics. They say they want to save the planet, but actually they want to plunge humanity back into the kind of poverty we spent centuries trying to escape. And we have to say, listen, modernity is good, it saves lives, and we need more of it, not less, even if, if it offends rich green hippies in posh parts of London.
know that this is such a, a global issue. And of course, that's why we have to challenge what a lot of these global organizations are pushing us towards, be it the World Economic Forum or the United Nations. But this is the other reason when people say to me, oh, you know, why, why are you engaged in this Tory party leadership? They're, they're both as bad as each other. Why did you want Boris Johnson to stay in place? Well, I'll tell you why, Brendan. It's because that I'm absolutely convinced that if this country has the coalition from hell, Labour, the Lib Dems, uh, the SNP, and critically, Brendan, critically, the Greens, mark my words, that pot, that that government, that, that fantasy coalition from hell, which could well become a reality for this country in the next two years, will be going down the same path as the Netherlands. And that's what we're facing as a country. That's right. And, you know, we already have net zeroes policies in this country. And I wish wish more Tory politicians and candidates were questioning those policies because they will be disastrous. They will hit people's pockets incredibly hard. They will lead to a loss in jobs and a loss in income. Uh, net zero, I think, is a disastrous idea. But it would be even worse if we were to have that coalition from hell that you're talking about. They would listen to no questioning, no dissent. They would push ahead with the most extreme cuts in carbon emissions. And I think we just have to change the narrative and change the language. And we have to say, if you want to stop using fossil fuels, that might sound like a nice thing to aspire to. But what you're really saying is you want people's jobs to be ended. You want people's livelihoods to be made worse. You want the country to be less wealthy. You want people who work in coal mines or nuclear power or other jobs to be thrown onto the dole queue. That is what you're calling for if you campaign for an end to fossil Indeed. fuel use. And we really have to start saying that out loud now. Indeed. And Brendan, I just have to say, before you go, I was very honoured to appear on your show this week, The Brendan O'Neill Show, which is a podcast. You can download it wherever you get your podcasts. We had a really fascinating conversation specifically around uh, what leaders like Ardern did at, uh, and the inhumanity of, of the lockdowns. So I've had so much amazing feedback, Brendan, as a result of that conversation. So if you want to check it out, The Brendan O'Neill Show, wherever you listen yeah. to your podcast. Brendan, thank you. He's become probably the most famous economist in the world after being thrust into the centre of the fiery race to be the next Prime Minister. Former economics advisor to Margaret Thatcher, Professor Patrick Minford, has been held up by the Tory leadership contender Liz Truss as a key backer of her economic agenda should she win the keys to number 10. The Foreign Secretary is determined to slash taxes immediately, while former Chancellor Fishy Rishi Sunak, who has raised our tax burden to the highest in 70 years, is opposed to immediate cuts. Of course, most of the MSM has been on a campaign to trip up trust, but she came out on top when BBC Rockweiler Nick Robinson thought he had a gotcha moment on the Today programme last week. Watch. My tax cuts will decrease inflation. Really? Because what they Can do... Can you point to a single chancellor, a single governor of the Bank of England, single leading economist who thinks that cutting taxes with borrowed money does anything other than increase inflation? Patrick Minford who's written an article about it this weekend. There's one. The, the, There's one. But, he, he is distinguished in many ways, but he is not what I just listed. He's not one of the leading economic thinkers in this country. Nick, we have had a consensus of the Treasury, of economists, of the Financial Times, of other, other outlets peddling a particular type of economic policy for the last 20 years. 
In a bid to discredit the renowned professor, Tim Sunak are now clinging to claims he said the trust policy would lead to 7% interest rates, something Minford strongly denies. But check out how many times Sunak relied on those claims in the BBC debate on Monday. Your own economic advisor, let's just say, your own economic advisor has said that your, your plans would mean that interest rates would have to go up to around 7%. I don't believe this negative, declinist... Language it's your own economic advisor, Liz. It's we, not mine. We, it's your own advisor. I have the one person you named, then gave an interview. This is the person that you named, not me, not my words, his words, and he said that in order for that plan to happen, interest rates would have to go up. He actually described it as a good thing. Well, the Iron Lady's trusted former economic advisor and professor of applied economics at Cardiff Business School, Professor Menford, is here now to set the record straight. Professor, so you have been thrust right into the midst of this political debate this week. Who's telling the truth? Who was telling the truth on Monday night, Sunak or Truss? Well, there's Truss, of course. I mean, this claim of uh, of, of, of Rishi Sunak's was was completely wrong. I mean, I never said this at all. It was, I was badly misquoted by a Times journalist. And uh, I wrote a letter to the Times saying that, of course, this, this is not my, my views at all. And so, in fact, I think that interest rates will, will have to go up, of course. But I think something of the order of 3%. And I think the reason that, um, that uh, Liz Truss is right is because it, it's it's sensible to have um, fiscal policies, we call it, be expansionary at a time like this when recession threatens. And that uh, having a more expansionary government spending and tax stance, which is what she's advocating for, for now, it means that the, the economy will be protected from recession, which frees up the Bank of England to be to be as tough as it needs to be. And everybody knows, therefore, that it will get on top of inflation and that will moderate people's behavior and keep inflation under control. So, uh, in fact, Liz Truss is completely right to, 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 to berate the Treasury for the way it's been conducting mm. affairs. And I think that's made it difficult for the, for, for the Bank of England to, to do its job on inflation, actually. And so just to clarify that point, absolutely, you do not believe in th that there's any chance that the Liz Truss uh, tax cuts will see interest rates reach 7%? No, I don't think there's any chance of that at all. I think that uh, what, what Liz Truss's proposals mean is that the Treasury will be more supportive of the economy and will head off recession, making it possible for the bank to have more freedom of action and that will strengthen its credibility because people will know that it has the power to stop inflation and that itself will act to restrain this inflationary situation we've got. On top of the fact that a lot of these, uh, this inflation is due to supply side shocks which will reverse themselves. So I think we'll see interest rates go to about 3% and inflation should come down to about 5%. And that will be helped by the, the Treasury changing from its rather negative policy and supporting the economy during this period and heading off recession. Now, of course, you have spent your career going against the grain. Uh, the reason you came to Margaret Thatcher's attention initially was the fact that you 
published a letter which criticised a statement issued by 364 prominent economists at the time uh, which attacked her economic policy. Do you feel the same thing's happening now uh, in terms of a lot of economists who seem to want to attack Truss's tax cuts agenda? And if so, why? Why do you think there's this desire to attack it? Well, there's an establishment view, as she said in her interview with Nick Robinson, there's a sort of establishment treasury orthodoxy views supported by um, the Economist and the Financial Times and a lot of kind of conventionally minded economists. And I just don't think they understand how the economy works, much as at, uh, at the time you're referring to when the 364 economists wrote to the Times, um, they didn't understand how the economy worked then. And it's, these things do happen, you know, you can get a great uh, consensus among economists with the wrong model of the economy, as we would put it, you know, not understanding how it works. Then they all thought that inflation could be solved by beer and sandwiches at number 10, <laughs> and that the government should, 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 you know, be very supportive of the economy at any cost and let inflation rip. And of course, because they would deal with it by, by controls. And of course, that was complete nonsense. As, uh, as, as really was obvious at the time, but not unfortunately to our profession, which at that time were completely wrong about all this. And today, they've got it into their heads that, that the Treasury should pursue austerity at any price and that it's, it's crazy and wrong to borrow. But of course, the whole point about having a government that's got a good reputation in the markets is that it should have the flexibility to borrow so that it can do it can avoid making terrible mistakes like putting up taxes, you know, that are needed to be kept low for competitiveness of the economy. You know, the idea that you can't borrow to do that is simply damaging to the economy. So there's this mindset around that has been um, around for a, a couple of decades now, starting with austerity and leading to, you know, the period after the financial crisis when we, when we had a uh, you know, sort of thing about doing any borrowing. And of course, that meant that the Bank of England had to print lots of money to try mm. to get the economy to recover, which drove interest rates down to zero and made a terrible mess of the economy, to be quite honest. So, so you would actually argue that Liz Truss's tax cuts are the responsible thing to do? Well, I think they're clearly the, re the responsible thing to do because when we, 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 we've just... Um, embarked on Brexit, which is a long-term program to, to put the economy under our own government, choosing to do our own, have our own tax regime and our own regulations. And we really need to, to get off on, on the right foot with that and make sure that the economy is competitive uh, in the world. And that means keeping taxes low. And it means not putting up things like national insurance contributions, which will raise wage costs and damage our competitiveness. So we need to be pursuing a supply side reform agenda of liberalizing regulation and keeping taxes very competitive and attractive to the, to the outside world. And, and so I think Liz Truss is completely right on this point. And for, for Rishi Sunak to to put up taxes or to, to plan to put up corporation tax, which yeah. is a vital, a vital element in our corporate competitiveness, and also to put up national insurance contributions was, 
was a very bad mistake. And I'm really pleased that Liz Truss is committed to re reversing it. Absolutely. Thank you so much for clearing it up and hitting back at that fake news too. Really important stuff. That was former economic advisor to Margaret Thatcher and professor of applied economics at Cardiff Business School, Professor Patrick Minford, who has become you know, by far the most famous economist in the world this week at the centre of quite a political storm. But it's time now for Uncancelled. And this is where Britain's top commentators speak out on controversial issues without the fear of the cancel culture sweeping the rest of the media. And in new guidelines for the way trans men are cared for before and after giving birth, doctors have been ordered to help with, quote, chest feeding in the same manner as biological women who breastfeed. The demand from the Royal College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists is part of a raft of overhauls in cancer screening, childbirth and fertility treatments to make them more inclusive for transgender and non-binary patients. The college says new parents who are biologically female but have transitioned to become male and may still be able to express milk post-surgery should be given the same support as women when it comes to feeding their babies and ask for their preferred method. Other recommendations include allowing trans women on female hospital wards even if they retain male genitalia. Phil Rowland, the doctor who helped draft the guidance, said we know that trans people are more likely to have poor experiences when accessing healthcare, and we can do better. Rod Little, what do you make of this? We've had your conservative government, Dan, for what now? 12 years? 12 years. Certainly yeah. seven years. Seven years untrammeled. It goes on and on and on, and it never, nothing ever gets done about it. If you took a poll tomorrow, there was a poll quite recently about what people think about the trans issue generally. So, for example, uh, should transgendered, uh, 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 i.e. men who have transgendered into being women, uh, uh, should they be allowed on hospital wards? Should they should there be separate toilets or should they be allowed into, into women's toilets? 98%. You know, we're, we're not talking about a small margin here. This is the entirety of the population finding this whole stuff an utter absurdity, and yet still it goes on, driven by elites which are in thrall to one or another uh, group, such as uh, Stonewall, who are one of the groups which are pushing this kind of rubbish, and the NHS. And the NHS, you will remember, Dan, not so long ago when the government announced that uh, henceforth transgendered women should not be allowed on to uh, uh, women's wards, uh, the National Health Service responded by saying, oh, yes, they will, and we will continue to make sure that they are, and we should defy the government. So all this stuff is way beyond control, and it is pursued by an elite which has no hegemony, has no support within the population, and most crucially, of course, has no support within <laughs> within science. Uh, mm. The interesting thing about this, of course, is that if you are a woman who has transgendered into being a man and you find yourself pregnant, <laughs> I would suggest that that is an indication from someone, perhaps God, perhaps your own body, that you are not a man. You are actually a woman. And that is why you are pregnant and about to give birth to a baby. Uh, and it seems to me that, that it's, as, it's as straightforward and simple as that in many cases. Mm. 
And I mean, Rod, I think one of the most concerning aspects of all of this is the safety, the, the question of safety. Because, I mean, Rod, we have literally seen rapes on hospital wards of biological women. And this is why women feel they are not protected. Not only have we seen the rapes on hospital wards uh, of women by transgendered women uh, or men, I forget, I forget what term I meant to use, by men, by men, rapes by men, let's be clear. Uh, we've also seen that when those rapes occur, and this was the disgrace which happened only, only about eight or nine months ago, uh, the NHS staff uh, instructed to say that there were no men on the ward, so it couldn't have been a rape by an, another patient. And of course, by that, they meant that they had classified this person as being a woman, mm. despite the fact that the person was, by every possible criteria, apart from the make-believe world that these people, and Alex, I have to say, live in, uh, that was actually a man. You know, and, and something has to be done. You know, we, we've talked about this before, uh, about trying to roll back this tide. Um, and there was, there was a kind of hope that if Kemi Badenoch had got the Tory leadership, mm. that, that, that that might have happened. I think there's probably a bit more hope with uh, Liz Truss than there is with Rishi Sunak, but hardly at all. And it's hardly figured at all in the, in the, uh, uh, in, in the various pitches which no. both of them have made. No, and not I, one I question that, asked about it, Rod. Not one question asked about it in no, any well, of the debates. Indeed. But, but I would put this to, 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 and I've written about this in The Sun for tomorrow, um, to, to Liz Truss and to Rishi Sunak. If you made these idiocies a major part of your platform, you will get an awful lot of support that you didn't think you might yeah. get. You know, when, I, when I wandered around the, the Red Wall seats last, last, at the last election, these things were considered really important, more important in many cases than tax rises. You know, this was this was stuff that was on a par with living conditions and yes. and, uh, and poverty. You know, it was really important to people, and that's why Jeremy Corbyn got a good, such a good thumping. And I think that if one of them, because we've had a I say it again, Dan, we've had a conservative government, pure conservative government, for seven years, done nothing, absolutely mm. nothing. It's got worse during that time. I, I absolutely agree that, that this shouldn't be considered some sort of fringe issue in, in this campaign. And that the frustrating thing for me, Rod, is that I know Liz Truss completely agrees with you on all of these points. And actually, she has been a huge yeah. advocate in government. Even when she became foreign secretary, she, she demanded that she kept the, the women and equalities brief. And she's actually one of the people who was standing up for the correct definition of women against people like Penny Mordaunt, for example, but yeah. it, it's almost like she's told by aides and advisors, oh, don't talk about it. And it's like, I agree with you. No, talk about it. This is important. It matters. Yeah, I think I think it's, it's an important thing. It's one of the things that Boris Johnson said uh, uh, just before he left. Uh, you know, it's not about Twitter. Yeah. So if you listen to Twitter, you might well get the view that there is a culture war going on and that there's 50% on one side and 50% on another side. But there really isn't. You yeah. know, this is where Johnson was right, that there is a tiny insurgency and then the rest of the country. Yeah. 
And totally. You know, the it's about common sense. It's about no. common sense. And if the Conservatives could grasp that, I think it could be a vote winner for them. Rod Little. Amazing, as always. We'll speak next week, and that column sounds brilliant in the sun tomorrow. Dan Wooden here again. Thank you so much for listening to this edition of my podcast, Uncancelled. Did you like what you hear? Well, remember to subscribe, rate, and review, and join me for more news-making interviews, fiery debate, and free speech on Dan Wooden tonight, every Monday to Thursday, from 9 p.m. till 11 p.m. on GB News. Listener.